All right, hey everybody, welcome to Valley Creek Church. And today I am so excited to welcome in all of our campuses, whether you're in Denton, Flower Mound, the venue watching online somewhere in the world, or at our brand new Louisville campus. We are so glad that you are here on launch weekend in Louisville, and we are one church that meets in multiple locations. We're a Jesus-focused, spirit-filled, life-giving church. Our vision is to help people take their next steps on their journey with Jesus, and this is a really big weekend for our church as we launch our brand new Louisville campus, and I can't believe it's already here because we have been praying and planning and preparing for this for the last few years. I mean, really, it just feels like it was yesterday that this was a dream in our heart. And the truth is, is that big things really do start small. And so what I want to do for a moment is I just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you to every person that has served and given and sacrificed and taken a next step and chose to be the culture of Valley Creek Church, invited someone to come like you have made this happen. In Louisville, we have been praying for you. And here's what I want to tell you today. We believe that as this campus starts, we believe destinies are going to be released. Freedom is going to be experienced. New friendships are going to be created. Hope and a future is going to be put into your life that Jesus wanted to move into your neighborhood with grace and truth. The best of your life is yet to come. So welcome home. Okay? So. So it seems fitting with the launch of the Louisville campus to just start a new series called Brand New. And for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how Jesus changes everything in our lives. And I don't know about you, but I'm ready for some new. Like we like new, don't we? Like I like new things, like the smell of a new car. I'm telling you, they put something in that car that just makes you want to buy it. The moment you smell it, like you want to buy it just the way it smells or the feel of new clothes, the excitement of a new job, the hope of a new season, the fun of new friends. Like we love new things, and yet we live in this broken and rundown world that's winding down, and it feels like everything's falling apart. Like my house recently, I feel like everything in my house is broken. Any, anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like everything, like my sprinklers, they're just spraying water, like straight up like a geyser into the air, and my air conditioner keeps breaking, and now that 90 degrees are back, that is bad news. Just a few weeks ago, my hot water heater in the attic exploded. So I came around the corner to see water pouring into my daughter's bedroom. My, I feel my, like my carpets are stained, like my bushes are dying, like there's the, 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 you know, the fog that gets in between your window panes and you can't get it out. It's like everything in my house is broken and I fix one thing and another thing breaks. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. Do you ever feel like that in life? You ever feel like everything in your life is broken? Like your relationships and your attitudes and your mind and your, your feelings and even your heart. Like it's broken and it keeps breaking and you just want everything to be new. Well, the good news is that's exactly what Jesus offers us. Yeah. Revelation 21.5, he says, behold, I make all things new. Second Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, in Jesus, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. He promises us such a newness that what was can no longer be seen in the midst of what is. And so if you got your Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, and what we're going to do for the next few weeks is we're just going to look at some encounters with Jesus and how those encounters made everything new. 
And so if you'll pick it up with me, just three short verses. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 40. It says, A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Okay, here's a guy that needs a new life. He's got leprosy, which leprosy is literally the worst possible disease that you could have because it takes away everything in your life. And we don't know much about leprosy today because it's not a common disease that we hear a lot about. It's still in existence in the world, but it's for the most part been eradicated. But, but in Jesus' day, leprosy was this disease that if you got it, it was like a death sentence. And while we don't know much about it, there's four things that really defined leprosy. And I need you to understand these. The first thing is this. Leprosy was contagious. Like it spread from person to person and from thing to thing. We don't know how this man got it. We don't know when he got it. We don't know where he got it. We just know that at some point in time, he came in contact with someone else who had leprosy and it jumped off of them and it got onto him. Maybe it was he was walking down the street and bumped into somebody. Maybe it was when he was buying or selling something in the market. Maybe it was when he was at work and shook somebody's hand. We don't know where it came from, but it's this contagious disease. And once you catch it, it starts as this small little spot, but it spreads to your entire body. Like, can you imagine what it would be like one day you wake up and you're in the shower and you find this little white spot on your arm and you know exactly what it is. And you try to scrub it off as best as you can, but you know it ain't coming off. And over the next few weeks and months in the course of your life, it spreads from that and overtakes your whole body till you become like a walking dead person. Okay? It's contagious, which means you can't be around anybody else or touch them. Not only is it contagious, it's a numbing disease. When we think of leprosy, for those of us that have an, an inside of what it is, you think of a leper and you think of somebody missing fingers and toes and their nose and different kinds of things. Well, the reason they lost those parts of their body is because what leprosy does is it numbs your nerve endings. It, it literally makes you numb by taking away your feeling. And so what happens over time is you unintentionally hurt yourself because your nerve endings are gone. So you no longer can feel pain. It would be kind of like, you know, when you wake up sometimes in the, in the morning and you've been sleeping on your arm wrong and it's like pins and needles, you can barely move it and it feels funky. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. Imagine if all of your extremities felt like that all of the time, you wouldn't be able to feel anything. So you would unintentionally hurt yourself. You see, pain is a good thing. Pain is designed to move us away from danger. Like when you feel pain, you put your hand on a hot stove, Whew, it's hot. But if you're a leper and you put your hand on a hot stove, you don't have any more nerve endings. You can't feel it. So you will burn your hand. You will step on a sharp stone and not realize it. You will break your toe or bang into something and not even know it. So you'll just keep walking, moving through life. So you kind of end up disabling and disfiguring yourself because you can't feel pain. Does that make sense to you? So it's a numbing disease. Third thing is it's isolating. Because it's contagious, you can't be around people. Like listen to what the Bible says about lepers. Leviticus 13. It says, now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn, his head shall be bare, he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean, he shall be unclean. All the days he has the sore, he shall be unclean, he is unclean and he shall dwell alone, his dwelling shall be outside the camp. So catch it. He says, hey, buddy, you got a contagious disease, so we got to isolate you. Like when was the last time this man hugged his wife? When was the last time he kissed his kids or... 
gave someone a high five or shook someone's hand or felt a pat on his back. He had to leave his home. He had to leave his job. He had to leave his life. And he had to live on the outskirts of the city. And anytime anyone came by, he had to go unclean, unclean. Like I'm a contagious person. You want to talk about shame and embarrassment. It's contagious. And so it isolates you. And the last thing is this. It's hopeless. Like when you have leprosy, it's hopeless because there's no cure. There's no treatment, which means you have no chance of getting better. So you have no hope and you have no future. And I know some of you are wanting to know, like, what on earth does leprosy have to do with us today? Right. I didn't come here for a medical lesson. I know. Listen, we may not have leprosy of the body, but we certainly have leprosy of the soul. Leprosy is a physical picture that shows us the ravaging effects of sin in our heart. It's a physical picture of a spiritual truth. What leprosy does to the body is exactly what sin does to our heart. It wants to destroy us in every single way. Like, think about those four things that leprosy does to the body. That's what sin does to our lives. Like, like catch it. Just think about it. Sin is contagious. Sin jumps from person to person. It starts small, but it begins to spread. Here's what it says. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. You hang around with sinful people and in sinful environments. Before you know it, that begins to spread and you pick it up. Or how about James 1 says, but each one, when he is tempted by his own evil desires, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. In other words, he says sin starts as a little small spot. But over time, it begins to spread and brings death throughout your entire life. Like, have you ever said to yourself, I will never be like that, or I will never do this thing? And then over time, you find yourself becoming exactly like the person you are never going to be and doing the very thing you swore you would never do. It's because sin starts small and it begins to spread. Like no one ever wakes up and decides today is the day I'm going to have an affair. No one ever wakes up and decides today is the day I'm going to be bitter. Today's the day I'm going to be angry. No, it starts small, a little compromise in your life, and then it jumps and it becomes part of your work and your relationships and your family and your life. Listen to me. Sin will take you further than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay, and keep you longer than you want to stay. It's contagious. It starts small, but it spreads. And not only is it contagious, it's numbing. Like, think about what sin does. Sin deceives us, and it numbs our heart over time so we can no longer feel. Hebrews 3.13 says, Encourage one another daily, as long as it is today, so none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Flat out says that what sin does is it cuts off the nerve endings in our heart. Our heart becomes hard, and when your heart becomes hard, you can no longer give and receive love. And when your heart becomes hard, you no longer listen to the voice of God. You're no longer open to the counsel of the Holy Spirit and you're no longer willing to receive the grace he offers. Or how about Romans 1 that says it like this, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. They knew about God. They just weren't willing to worship him and follow him. So their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened, started small and grew. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. It started small, but then it grew. I mean, have you ever looked at somebody and thought, why are you doing this? Have you ever looked at somebody and thought, why are you letting this be done to you? It's because they've become numb in their heart. 
Sin has deceived them. They no longer can feel. So they unintentionally are hurting themselves. They're putting their hand on a hot stove. They're stepping on a sharp stone. And they literally can't even feel it. So they become disfigured and disabled because of the ravages of sin in their life. Does that make sense to you? It's contagious. It's numbing. And then it's isolating. Like think of what sin does. Sin makes you ashamed. And when you're ashamed, you become separated from the people in your life. It makes you hide. The moment Adam took the forbidden fruit, he ate it. And the first thing he did, Adam ran and he... He hid. And God came walking through the garden. Adam, where are you? And Adam says, I, I, I was naked. And so I was ashamed and afraid. So I hid. I sinned and that sin created shame in my life. And so I've now become separated from you and from the people I love. That, that's what sin does. It, it makes you separate from the people in your life. You isolate. Like how often do we hide our phones from our spouses or our parents because we don't want them to see what we've been doing on them? Or how often do we try to delete our internet history because we don't want anyone else to see what, we, what we've been doing? Or, or, or we don't tell people the stories of our lives and where we've been and what we've done because we're ashamed of the past. Or we're constantly taking breath mints. Some of us should take breath mints just because it's a good idea. <laughs> but some of us, we're taking breath mints because we don't want anybody to smell what we've been taking or been using. These little white lies, all these different things. And the reality is, is at the end of the day, like you can be completely surrounded by people like this and yet feel completely alone because it is impossible to connect with other people when there is active sin in your life. It makes your heart hard and you try to hide from one another behind that shell. The only way you connect is when you become soft and open up and can connect with one another. That's why we constantly feel alone in life, even though we're by people. I mean, 1 John 1, 7, it says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. It is impossible to be in healthy relationship with other people when you're living in the dark. But when you bring it out of the dark into the light, the blood of Jesus purifies us. And now all of a sudden we can connect with one another because you can't connect with someone else when they're in their hiding spot and you're in yours. Make sense? So, so it's isolating. And the last thing is this, it's hopeless. Like, like sin honestly becomes hopeless because we know we can't cure our own heart. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is weak, wicked and deceitful and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And so what happens over time is we become like the leper and we stop living. We become isolated, we become numb, disfigured, disabled, contagious, hopeless. Jesus says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life. Like Satan wants to steal your affection, kill your heart, destroy your faith, but Jesus has come to make all things new. And I know some of you are like, did we really need to go through all that? Yes, we did. Here's why. Because you have to understand what sin does to appreciate what Jesus did. If you don't get that... What he did doesn't make sense. And so somewhere along the way, this leper, he heard. Like he heard about this Jesus. He must have heard that he was giving sight to the blind and raising the dead and setting people free from demons. So he does the unthinkable. A contagious leper approaches Jesus, this rabbi. He hits his knees because he's desperate. As much as you hate desperation in your life, it's actually God's grace because it drives you to your deliverer. And he has this encounter with Jesus and we learn three amazing things about Jesus. I set all that up to bring you to this. You got to understand what that does so you can appreciate who he is. See, here's who Jesus is. Jesus is compassionate. Look at this. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Now, I want you to catch this. When the leper comes and he hits his knees before Jesus, Jesus doesn't see a messy man. He sees a man in a mess. 
He doesn't see a messy man. He sees a man in a mess. Notice it says a man with leprosy, not a leprous man. Which means Jesus refused to define him by his sickness, his brokenness, his disease. Jesus defined him by who he was created to be made in the image and likeness of God. Jesus didn't see a leper. He saw a man with a family and plans and purposes and dreams and destinies and hopes and desires and giftings and callings with potential and purpose. That's who Jesus saw. Jesus doesn't see messy people. He sees people in a mess. You'll be fascinated. Read the Gospels. You'll find it all over. Jesus doesn't see a blind man. He sees a man who is blind. He doesn't see a demonized man. He sees a man with demons. He doesn't see a sick woman. He sees a woman with a flow of blood. He doesn't see people in, uh, he doesn't see messy people. He sees people in a mess and he's filled with compassion and he responds because he sees the prophetic potential in our lives. So can I just tell you something today? You are not defined by your mess in Jesus. That abortion, those sexual sins, the anxiety, the depression, the fear, the, the sense of overwhelm, where you've been, what you've done, Romans 8, 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. <laughs> like, listen, my kids are really good at making a mess. Anybody else that has kids, are your kids good at making a mess? Like, like, leave my kids alone for five minutes and the mess they can create is like a tornado ripped through. And you come into the room, you know, they got snot coming all down their face. They've been eating food. It's all, oh, it's like in their hair and blueberries smeared everywhere. It's all over the floor. Things are spilled and it's just chaos. And I walk in and I see this. I don't see messy kids. I see my kids in a mess. And because they're my kids, I don't really pay attention to the mess. I pay attention to my kids and I'm willing to clean them off. And that gooey substance, you're not even sure what it is on their arm. You know, you're willing to take it off and even get it on yourself. You don't care. But no, someone else's kids. I see messy kids. Like you can walk in and you can have a kid and he just has like one little stain right here. You're like, that's a messy kid. I mean, have you ever been to Chuck E. Cheese? Those are not kids in a mess. Those are messy kids. I, I, I'm, I'm good. I, I'll stay back here. Okay. Isn't that what we do, though? We define people by their failures, but Jesus defines us by our potential. I mean, 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 1 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our troubles. He cares and he has compassion. I mean, Exodus 3, God says, I have seen their misery, I have heard their cry, and I am concerned of their suffering, so I have come. Hear me today. He has seen your misery. He has heard your cry. And he is concerned about your suffering, and so he has come. I mean, just think of people in the Bible, Hagar, a single mom who's running for her life in the desert because the, the, the father of her child wants nothing to do with her or the child. And who shows up? God and meets her needs and she says, you are the one who sees me. Or how about Joseph? He's sold by his brothers into slavery, ends up in Egypt, falsely accused, ends up in prison, totally rejected. And what does it say about Joseph? That the Lord was with him and showed him favor. How about Zacchaeus? A wee little man, the tax collector, everyone hated. He, was, he had a, a disability. And it's Jesus that goes to him and calls him down and says, I wanna go to your house. Okay, how about you? He doesn't see a messy person. He sees his child in a mess. And he's so moved by compassion that he's willing to take all of your mess upon himself. I mean, the story of the Good Samaritan, right? 
it's, that's vocabulary that the world uses, be a good Samaritan. Okay, the good Samaritan is the story of a man who is beat up and left on the side of the road for dead. And it says two religious guys walk by and, and they see him. They don't see a person in a mess. They see a messy person. <laughs> they see a kid at Chuck E. Cheese that ain't theirs. <laughs> and so they walk by. And Jesus says, but the good Samaritan showed up. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He didn't see a messy person. He saw a person in a mess and he went over and he bound his wounds and he cleaned him off and he put oil on him and he put him on his donkey and he took him to the hotel and he paid for all of his costs. said, I'm going to totally bring you back to health. Okay, you understand the good story of the Good Samaritan is not about the Good Samaritan. It's a story about Jesus. He is the Good Samaritan. He is compassionate. And the second thing is this, is he is willing. Like, like, check this out. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. If you are willing, you can make me clean. This is fascinating to me. He basically looks at Jesus. He says, Jesus, I know you're able. I'm just not so sure you're willing. I, I, I think you can. In fact, I know you can. I'm just not sure you want to. And so what's the real question he's asking? He, he's really asking, is God good? And isn't that the question we ask? Like, I think most of us in this room, we actually believe God can. We're just not sure God wants to. We're not so sure that he's really willing. But look what Jesus says, verse 41, filled with compassion. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. He's willing. And in this moment, Jesus does the unthinkable. Jesus, a clean man, touches the unclean leper. Okay. In the Old Testament, what you have to understand is there were clean people and unclean people. And if a clean person touched the unclean person, the clean person became unclean. Sin was the influencing agent. So if a clean person touched the unclean person, the unclean nature of their sin or their sickness jumped from them and made the clean person unclean. Okay, well, when Jesus shows up on the scene, when Jesus, the clean person, touches the unclean leper, Jesus doesn't become unclean. The leper becomes clean. When Jesus, the clean one, touches the unclean, Jesus doesn't become unclean. The unclean one becomes clean. And he does the unthinkable and he touches this leper and he shows us that no longer is sin the influencing agent. The righteousness of Jesus is now the influencing agent. That's why, that's why 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, Jesus the clean one showed up and made all the unclean people clean that were willing to take his touch. And it's not like the leprosy just disappeared into thin air. No, what Jesus did when he touched him is he took it upon himself and said, basically, I'm going to pay for this on the cross. So it's gone. Or how about Romans 5.19 that says, through the disobedience of one man, Adam, and his failure, we were made sinners. But through the obedience of one man, Jesus, we were made righteous. Like through Adam's failure, we've become sinners. That We've been trapped in a prison of sin in this unclean, broken posture in life. And we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Identity determines behavior. Who you are determines what you do. But then Jesus shows up and he touches our life. And he rescues us from the prison of sin and he puts us into a posture of righteousness. And now we're righteous in Jesus, clean. Not because we did righteous things. We do righteous things because we now are righteous. And just like there was nothing you could do to get yourself out of the prison of sin, there's nothing bad you can do to get yourself out of this posture of righteousness because once Jesus, the clean one, touches you, you become clean forever. Or how about 1 John 3, 16 that says, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus laid down his life for us. In other words, it was the cross that proved that Jesus is now and forever 
willing to get involved in the brokenness of your life. You see, what I think is so cool is that Jesus never asks the man any questions. He doesn't look at him and say, well, how did you get this disease? And what were you doing? And where did it come from? And why did it show up? No, he doesn't ask him all the questions we would ask. We're quick to judge, but Jesus is quick to forgive. And so he doesn't really ask him any questions. He just reaches out his hand and he says, I am willing. Be clean. See, it doesn't really matter why you're broken. It doesn't matter why they're broken. What matters is that Jesus is willing to make you new. I mean, in John chapter 5, there's a guy, he's been paralyzed for 38 years. Talk about broken. And Jesus shows up and asks the man, do you want to get well? Love that. Do you want to get well? And the man sits there and all he does is give all the reasons why he's broken and why he can't get better and what's happening. And Jesus stops him. That's not the question I'm asking you. Do you want to get well? And so what we learn is, is that it's not about Jesus' willingness. It's actually about our willingness and whether or not we get better. Or how about in John chapter 9? It says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Wait, pause. A man blind, not a blind man. Because Jesus doesn't see messy people. He sees people in a mess. Your potential is always greater than your brokenness. He went along. He saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Like, whose fault is this? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so the work of God might be displayed in his life. In other words, Jesus says, you guys are so missing it. So maybe we need to stop asking questions and just start asking for help. Stop trying to figure out why and just start saying, will you help me? Listen, God doesn't clean us because we're good. He cleans us because he's good. His willingness to touch you is based on his character, not your behavior. That's why Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, you have been saved by grace through faith. It's not of yourselves, not by work, so that no man can boast. You've been saved, made whole, cleaned by grace, undeserved favor. When you by faith believe it, not because of what you did, but because of what Jesus has done. And if that's true and he's willing, then we should run to him with anything in our lives. Okay? So he's compassionate, he's willing, and then he is able. Look at what it says. He touches the man, verse 42, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Immediately. Okay. Don't underestimate the power of God. He spoke the universe into existence. He raised the dead. He gave sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, cast out demons. He walked on water, calmed the storm, parted the Red Sea. I think he can be what you need him to be for you. Matthew 19 says, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Our problem is, is that like the leper, though, we've lived in our brokenness for so long that it's become normal and it's become our way of life and we kind of lose hope. My marriage is always going to be like this. My kids will always be rebellious and we'll never have a good relationship. I'll always have this anxiety and I'll never get free of this depression and I'll always be afraid and my finances are going to be a mess. And this addiction, you know how many times I've tried to kick it? I ain't kicking it. It ain't going anywhere. Okay, can I just tell you something? Any area in your life where you have no hope is an area where you're believing a lie. And any area where you're believing a lie is an area you've allowed Satan to rule and reign in your life. Think about it. Any area you have no hope of change 
is an area you're believing a lie because we follow the God of hope, the God who can do all things, the God who is able. And any area you're believing a lie is a place you've empowered Satan to rule and reign because we walk with the God of truth and his truth promises to set us free. So every place you use the words always and never to define your life and have no hope is an area you've chosen to believe a lie and allowed Satan to take authority over your life. I will always be this way. Things will never change. My marriage will always struggle. I will never break free. I will always have this addiction. I will never find a new hope or a new future or a new tomorrow. Okay, that's where you have no hope. So you're believing a lie and you're allowing Satan to rule. We follow the God of hope, the God who makes all things new, the God who is able, the God who can clean out even the worst stains from your life. <laughs> like, listen to this. A few weeks ago, as the Louisville building was finishing up, a bunch of us were over there for something, and, and we had to park in a special spot on the side of the building because they were spray painting, like painting the, the front of the building with big sprayers to get the nice brand new look of the building there. And it was a real windy day, so we parked kind of in the spot where the painters weren't painting. And, uh, and as we were inside and having our meeting, our facilities director, he graciously found us and said, um, hey, uh, we, I need to tell you guys something. The uh, painter, I don't think he was paying attention and he sprayed all of your cars. And so we all kind of took a breath. There were a couple cars out there that were like brand new. They still had the paper tags on them. And we walk outside and everybody kind of like went to their car and you went out and sure enough, this guy wasn't paying attention and he sprayed every one of our cars with brown paint. And as you went up and touched it, it felt like sandpaper on the car, all these little dots and flecks everywhere because the wind was just blowing and man, it just covered it. And we just looked at it and all of us responded in different ways, some better than others. <laughs> and, uh, and we realized there's like, no, these cars are ruined. Like the paint, it's just, it's, there's no way. I mean, how are you gonna get that? It's all, I mean, it's like they're covered. Like there's no way this is coming out. And I love our facility director. He was so calm and he just was very like cool. He said, hey, he said, it, it's gonna come out. Don't worry about it. He says, we just have to call the right person. <laughs> Start laughing. Like, I don't care who you call. This ain't coming out and get in my car and driving home, you know, angry. And so the next day he brings a mobile detailer in and we have all our cars. We put them into the right thing and we're all kind of panicked still. We're like, it's not coming out. He's like, just give him time to work. And sure enough, by the end of the day, somehow these guys were able to literally get all of the paint off of all of the cars and made them all look even better than they were before. Okay. Okay. That's what Jesus does for you. He is able. And the truth is, is just like our cars got painted and it wasn't our fault. Sometimes there are stains that show up in your life and it's not your fault. And sometimes what you need to do is make sure you call the right person and give him time to work because he can get out the worst stains. Psalm 51, purify me from sins. Purify me from my sins and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Here's what I want to say to you. Some of you, I think this is prophetic for you today. You're here and you think God can't. Here's what I think God wants to say to you in specific in these three things. One is God absolutely can break you free from that addiction. That's a word from the Lord for you. Two, some of you need to hear God absolutely can break you free out of the cycle of poverty and out of the cycle of generational curses that you keep repeating generation after generation in your family line. And three, God absolutely can capture the heart of your loved one and bring them home. He's able. Now, 
I don't have time for what happens for the rest of it, but basically here's what happens. Jesus says to the man, he's healed. He says, go show yourself to the priest. And, and what you have to understand is when a leper was clean, there was an Old Testament law that said there had to be a sacrifice offered for it and this whole thing had to happen. But the whole funny part about it is his lepers never got healed. So there's this whole 